Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. When U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Israel earlier this week, one of his top agenda items was obviously Iran's nuclear program. Israeli officials have publicly claimed that they were successful in making the case against the Biden administration re-entering the JCPOA. Blinken argued that last fall the agreement was all about to be revived, but that Iran has changed its mind, keeps working right now on accumulating fissile material, and the American response is having everything on the table, a reference to a military option should diplomacy fail. Faced with this warning, which is backed by other signals, how close is Iran to a military nuclear capability? Joining us from the United States in New York City is Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former International Atomic Energy Agency Deputy Director General and a Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere here in Israel is Brigadier General in Reserve Yossi Kupelwasser, who is the former head of research and assessment at the IDF Intelligence Directorate, who currently acts as Project Director in Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Thank you for having me. Also joining us here in the studio is uh, our distinguished, our own distinguished, uh, Mr. Amir Oren, who is our editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers and Play, and so much more. I'm going to give us a broader understanding of uh, this complex issue that we've been following for such a long time. So for real distinguished uh, persons, uh, one uh, may look at uh, the series of visits that the Biden administration has uh, uh, sent to Israel over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks or uh, a month at the most. First came the uh, CENTCOM commanding general, General Kurila, then the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, then the CIA director, Bill Burns, and finally, as you mentioned, the Secretary of State, uh, Tony Blinken. And uh, top of uh, all of their conversations was, of course, the Iran problem. Now, interestingly enough, um, while Blinken was here, his colleague, uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, Austin, was in uh, the Republic of Korea, in South Korea, where they have a similar problem, North Korea. And both Israel and um, South Korea are major non-NATO allies of uh, the United States. Now, when Blinken was in Israel, he mentioned uh, three problems with Iran. One was uh, the demonstrations, the dissent against the regime. The other was the um, Iranian assistance to Russia in its uh, war uh, against Ukraine. And finally, but perhaps most crucially, the uh, Iranian program to uh, develop uh, nuclear weapons. He um, claimed on behalf of uh, President Biden that the United States will not allow Iran to develop, not only not to acquire, but not to develop a nuclear weapon. Uh, this seems uh, an important uh, nuance. And in addition to that, we have seen the joint exercise uh, in which uh, a bunker buster bomb was dropped from an American plane um, to signal to Iran that it is uh, possible. And we had 
the mysterious uh, drone attack on a facility in Isfahan. So all of that should put Iran on the defensive and Obviously, uh, our two other guests will tell you uh, how much they have and how much they may lose if they uh, move um, one or two steps further. If we look very closely at the wording that Secretary Blinken noted during his various conversations, he highlighted also with regard to the Russians a two-way street. The fact of the matter is that the Iranians are assisting Russia indeed with the uh, Shahed-136 and, and other tools, but the Russians are also assisting the Iranians with sophisticated components and weaponry. And I'd like to ask Dr. Heinonen as such, the Russians are the ones who ultimately are assisting Iran in building their nuclear infrastructure. To what degree is now the new bolstering of relations between the two sides, likely to increase that also to increasing the infrastructure to capacity of beyond civic application? First of all, I think that the Iranians have already everything they need for the nuclear weapon manufacturing in terms of technical capabilities, know-how there might be some shortage. So I don't think that Russia cannot can bring anything special to the picture other than detailed nuclear weapon design and experts to help Iranians. That will be a tremendous threshold to pass. Russia has been historically fairly good in terms of the non-proliferation, so I would not expect that happen very soon, unless there is something similar like a Wagner arrangement that some group in uh, Russia decides to join the uh, Iranians and uh, Russian government will overlook it, its behavior there. That we already saw in 1990s when Mr. Dadinenko and some others came to work with the nuclear weapons program in Iran. Then the other two aspects, and this we need to remember now, they have been accumulating high enriched uranium. Actually, they changed a little bit more than a year ago the pattern of behavior. Until that point of time, they were producing fairly large amounts of uh, low-enriched uranium. But we have not seen any increase in low-enriched uranium stocks practically for more than one year. Because they started increasingly use that stock to produce high-enriched uranium closer to the weapons grade. So this is the one which they use as a hedging tool to convince the others that don't touch us or try to go back to the JCPO and then we, then we can agree. Whether they have worked weaponization since 2002, that's most likely. We have heard what Mr. Abbasi Davani has said in public a few months ago that they maintain the group. And this might be also the reason uh, this simultaneous uh, visits which Mr. Oren mentioned in uh, South Korea and in, uh, in uh, Iran, in Israel, because problem is exactly the same. In 1992, US, South Korea agreed with North Korea denuclearization of Korean Peninsula. No reprocessing, no enrichment, and U.S. tactical weapons taken away from the peninsula. That's actually the only thing which happened. 
1994, when the agreed framework was established, the reprocessing capacity was not dismantled, the reprocessing plant was left to North Korea, just shut it down. Small enrichment activities existed, they were not even mentioned in the agreement. And then when 2003, North Korea left the NPT, they were dressed up and ready to go. Reprocessing plant, first half a year they produced more than enough fissile plutonium for one nuclear weapon. And since then, they have been accumulating uh, plutonium and more recently as well uranium. And on top of that, they started to talk about miniaturization in the last two, three years. And that is a game change if we think also about Iran. I don't want to take any shortcuts, but material quantities are very different if you are able to miniaturize. I mm. give you an example. A short example, 25 kilos is a significant quantity which IAEA thinks is needed for first nuclear weapon in a country which makes its first nuclear weapon. That's 25 kilograms. But even with the modest technical background, once there is a little bit more know-how, this quantity drops to half. Maybe 16 kilograms needed for 20 kiloton tactical weapon. If you make a smaller weapon, let's say 10 kilotons, which is slightly smaller than what was dropped to Hiroshima, it's perhaps only 13 kilos. Indeed. These numbers matter what were now on the table. And this is the last moment to solve it in a peaceful way. Well, last week uh, we heard uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Mariano Grossi speak to the Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee in the European Parliament, during which he said, and I quote, one thing is true, they, Iran, have amassed enough nuclear material for several nuclear weapons, not one at this point. Remember that uh, it was the biggest issue of the breakthrough, and Mr. Netanyahu uh, drawing things at the UN and putting lines, uh, well, that is long past. They have 70 kilograms of uranium enriched at 60% and 1,000 kilograms, I think you were reminding uh, us of that at 20% and more, etc. So the amount is there. That doesn't mean, he noted, however, that they have a nuclear weapon. That doesn't mean they have a nuclear weapon. General Kupervassil, how can uh, the agency at this stage truly confirm that they do not have a nuclear weapon? Are they in the process to that end? And to what degree is the international community truly scrutinizing uh, the processes behind the concrete walls hiding uh, the various materials they're currently accumulating? Well, first of all, I don't think that the IAEA can uh, confirm that the Iranians don't have nuclear weapons or they don't uh, move towards having nuclear weapons because the monitoring is very poor these days. And uh, anyhow, the monitoring that was uh, available to them by the uh, JCPOA was limited, uh, very limited, even though it was presented as uh, the best monitoring system ever, which might be true, but it wasn't a good monitoring system. It was far from being enough, especially as the, the core uh, problem is to follow what the, uh, what's being done with uh, undeclared uh, uranium or undeclared uh, nuclear uh, capabilities and uh, to be able to, to know what the scientists are doing. And there is no uh, monitoring of the scientists, so God knows what those scientists know, uh, do. 
or if not, if God doesn't know, uh, I hope some intelligence organizations know. Uh, but the IAEA doesn't have any contact with uh, with these scientists, and they don't know. And uh, that's why they cannot uh, confirm that uh, Iran is not on the way to having these uh, weapons. What the uh, IAEA can confirm, and this is uh, worrisome by itself, is that the, uh, the what we are witnessing now is a new de facto arrangement according to which nobody does anything while the Iranians don't start producing uh, or reaching uranium to a level of 90% of uh, turning it into a fissile material. And this allows the Iranians to keep on accumulating highly enriched uranium that is very close to 90%, but it's not 90% yet. Uh, they can turn it into 90% enriched uranium within a very short period of time, weeks, maybe even less. And, uh, and this makes it more and more complicated because, as uh, Dr. Hoyerheinonen said, uh, the quantity is critical here. Uh, if you have a quantity that is enough for one uh, nuclear device is one thing. If you have a quantity that is enough for four uh, nuclear devices, it's a totally different story. If you have a quantity that is uh, sufficient for 10 uh, nuclear devices that can be turned into 10 uh, nuclear bombs, it's a, it's a different story. And what the Iranians are doing, using the fact that nobody wants to confront them, uh, or at least uh, nobody in the national community with the exception of Israel, maybe, uh, they take advantage of that and accumulate more and more highly enriched uranium that would enable them to have enough fissile material for something like 10 bombs or so, and even more as time goes by, uh, once they decide to uh, break out. Now, uh, what you were speaking about uh, before, about how the Russians are going to get involved in that, is also very important because the Russians can, on the one hand, do what uh, was mentioned here and uh, help the Iranians uh, or close an eye when some Russians help the Iranians uh, to shorten the time necessary to move from having a fissile material into uh, turning it into a bomb. That's one thing that can happen. But the Russians are also important in uh, helping the Iranians protect their and, def and defend their facilities against uh, any kind of uh, attempt to, to hit them and what we or to retaliate if, and uh, to deter people from doing that. And that's what the Russians are doing right now. They provide the Iranians with uh, highly developed uh, uh, anti-aircraft uh, capabilities and with uh, the Sukhoi 35 that would improve considerably the Iranian ability to uh, operate in, in the air. And uh, these are things that are also, uh, that also matter when you come to plan your uh, breakout uh, policy. So uh, I, I'm quite concerned with that, uh, with all due respect to, to the new wording of uh, both Netanyahu and uh, uh, Blinken about uh, not allowing Iran to develop nuclear weapons and not allowing Iran to acquire nuclear weapons. These are nice words, but in fact, what's happening on the ground is that Iran is moving towards having more and more fissile, uh, more and more uh, highly enriched uranium that can be turned into fissile material within uh, an extremely short period of time. That's what's happening, and nobody does anything about that. And uh, and uh, look at the, the Europeans; they they just uh, watching it from the veranda. Uh, though they, they can do something, they can, for example, snap back the JCPOA. Time is uh, extremely ripe for uh, taking this uh, step, snapping back the, the JCPOA, putting sanctions on Iran, 
isolating Iran. Uh, we know how the, the West has proven that it knows how to isolate somebody when it wants to. That's the attitude towards Russia right now in Belarus. Nothing of the kind is being done vis-a-vis -vis Iran. And Iran, and you know, the, the crimes of Iran are not only uh, the moving uh, the way they move towards uh, having the capability to break out on the nuclear realm, but mm -hmm. also when it comes to the way they suppress the protesters, when it comes to the support they give to the to the Russians in their effort uh, uh, in uh, Ukraine, and with the ongoing effort to arm uh, the terror uh, the groups in the Middle East, especially the uh, uh, the radical Islamic ones, but not only. Uh, the Iranians are behind all of that, and they are threatening to carry out terror attacks against their dissidents and against their opponents all, all around the world. And, and this is, is going out in a way that proves that the Iranians can easily get, get away with murder. Uh, and uh, Actually, they do get away with murder. Uh, so it's, uh, this is something that is uh, very dangerous, because the understanding in Iran can be that we can keep judging how far we can go. We can keep testing the water and see if we can move farther uh, towards having the capability to break out without anybody doing anything. And, uh, I'm, I'm quite worried about the situation we're in. Uh, two points. Mm -hmm. The first one is that um, the uh, optimistic working assumption is that first, uh, Supreme Leader Khamenei is yet to make the decision, the formal decision to go nuclear militarily. Because he didn't declare the Be matter? or Because, because uh, intelligence organizations would have known uh, what went down in the chain of command, would have seen the signals. But in any event, uh, the, uh, they suppose that it is uh, not yet there. And uh, they um, uh, try to measure the time from the decision to execution. Uh, what if they are wrong and uh, this decision uh, has been made already? And the other uh, optimistic working assumption is that there are no other secret, undeclared sites where um, such work uh, is being done. Again, what if it is wrong and there is clandestine uh, work? In addition, um, over the last several days, there has been a very worrisome development on the Russian side, not necessarily vis-a-vis -vis Iran, but it can signal that. And that is a new or renewed focus on biological warfare. They have accused the Americans of helping Ukraine in uh, biological R&D. This could be a prelude uh, to their acting um, on the biological warfare front or chemical warfare as they have done or as they have helped the Assad regime in Syria. So when we talk about weapons of mass destruction, we may be uh, approaching a threshold in which non-nuclear weapons are being used in Europe, not in the Middle East, but that will uh, probably cause everyone to be on edge. Well, we don't have very much time left, so uh, we'll try and keep our answers a bit uh, more brief. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, I'd, I'd like to ask you, decision to execution, uh, the, the point of decision-making by the Supreme Leader in uh, the Islamic Republic uh, is not 
necessarily known, of course, uh, even though there are various assessments and there are uh, ongoing uh, scrutiny of this uh, uh, matter in particular. But uh, more than two years have already passed since the assessment of two years. What, what is the process or the length of the process of that decision to execution once it's indeed made? Well, we don't. our problem is that we don't know the baseline because unfortunately JCPOA didn't include a full verification of past dismantlement and verification of the past nuclear program. So we don't know what was remaining and what did they do after 2003 and around 2010 when Mr. Fakrisadeh and Abbas Davani were having these group meetings. This is an unknown. But I think that the practice shows us one thing. If they have today no undeclared nuclear facility, it will be forced the first time in 40 years. I think that tells something. They don't keep all the eggs in one basket. Facility may be there, infrastructure may be there, and they are just ready to go. And it will be very, very difficult to find with General- the current circumstances and authorizations and support with CIA gets. Indeed. Uh, General Kupilwasser, I'd like to uh, hear your assessment also about uh, the matter from decision to execution. But uh, I'd like to ask you more particularly with the alarming uh, assessment uh, that you just provided us with, uh, what is the window of opportunity for the international community to act, considering the rapid pace in which Iran is racing towards uh, nuclear weapon capabilities? Well, regarding the timetables, as uh, Dr. Hanan said correctly, we don't know the baseline. We, the, the IAEA is trying very hard to convince the Iranians to give them some uh, information about uh, three or four facilities that uh, were not declared by the Iranians that were, were found only because Israel brought the archives of the nuclear program uh, from Tehran, and then we learned about all kinds of new facilities that even the Israeli intelligence didn't know about uh, at the time that they were operating, and they, there was some activity about with uranium at that, uh, these facilities, and God knows where is this uranium and uh, how much uranium was there, and uh, at what uh, level of enrichment or processing this uranium is, and where was it used for all kinds of uh, testings and uh, uh, experiments and we don't know. It's, uh, so it's very difficult to say how much time is really necessary for the Iranians to move from uh, having uh, highly enriched uranium to 90% up to uh, having a nuclear device. And we have to remember the the delivery system is ready. The, the uh, missiles are there. So it's, uh, this is Contrary to uh, statements in the media which repeatedly communicate that they still don't have means of delivery, the fact of the matter is the old Soviet weaponry is capable of delivering nuclear payloads. Yeah, well, they, and they developed the Shihab 3 for the purpose of uh, delivering uh, uh, small uh, warheads, of, uh, you know, small uh, nuclear warheads, and uh, so this, this is ready. And uh, Danilenko, that uh, was mentioned by uh, Dr. Heinonen, gave them some information about how to move uh, towards the bridging the gap between having fissile material and, uh, and putting it in a, in a warhead. Uh, that, that, is, that is known, but we don't know yet, uh, with all the knowledge that we have, how much time this is going to take them. And that's why we have to, as Amir said, we shouldn't... Uh, uh, 
end up with some optimistic uh, assumptions. That's uh, something that, in my mind, is uh, is going to be incorrect in, in, in assessing. Mr. What was your second question? Sorry. My second question related to, in light of the various uh, weaponry that the Russians are going to uh, transfer, deploy into Iran, of course, there is going to be a time period in which uh, the Iranians will need to uh, learn how to operate those uh, sophisticated weapons. Uh, what is the window of opportunity to avoid a higher casualty cost uh, in the event of conflict? Yes. Well, first of all, they are already training. Uh, the, the, the training of the Iranians on the new weapons is, has uh, begun already, and it's uh, in the midst. And uh, it's not going to take a long time. At the time, the, the, the window of opportunity is now. It's, uh, we, we have a very limited time, and uh, it's a matter because it's only a matter of decision by the Iranians, uh, as long as we stick with this uh, de facto arrangement that allows the Iranians to move forward without being worried about anything, this is crazy. And I think that the understanding that the time is, is more or less now is the reason why we have those uh, very uh, intensive uh, delibera deliberations between Israel and the United States, because both sides understand how critical the situation is. Uh, I don't know if what happened in Iran in Isfahan has uh, anything to do with uh, with this understanding. Uh, could be, but uh, but uh, I'm sure that everybody understands that the timetable is is very pressing. Indeed, and, uh, <coughs> uh, the the exercises and the uh, the joint exercises are all meant to deliver a message to Iran. Listen, we are uh, in full understanding that the time is limited. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are prepared to uh, develop a credible military option to uh, threaten you and to deter you from moving forward. But uh, from the American point of view, the purpose of that is to make sure that the Iranians don't move to 90% enrichment. From uh, an Israeli point of view, the purpose of that is to make sure that the Iranians don't have the capability to think about a 90% uh, enrichment uh, move. Uh, there still is uh, a gap between us and the Indeed. Americans in this respect, in my mind. Unfortunately, we uh, are out of time, but Amil, uh, well, just closing it's, saying. It's really inconceivable that almost 80 years, 78 years after the first uh, nuclear test at uh, Alamogordo, um, a, a developed countries such as Iran cannot achieve nuclear weapons status if it really uh, is bent on it. So the question is, and they know that Israel will act. Now what they see after the Blinken visit is that the United States will not restrain Israel if Israel um, has credible information regarding it. And the question is, are they going nuclear or do they want to convert what they have uh, for some other benefits? Indeed, that's indeed what I hear also here from the active political uh, or defense establishment that the Biden administration is slowly uh, relenting on various constraints to allow Israel to act more freely. But that's all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen and General Kupelwasser for partaking in today's panel. I'd like to thank Mr. Owen as well. And uh, to thank all of you at home. Until next time, Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.